0: Politics without the soap opera, with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz.
1: And welcome back, fellow American patriots and minutemen, standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, our basic freedoms. It's all on the line here, December six. It is Wednesday. Welcome back, CR Podcast. Daniel Horowitz is your host again, and it's interesting. December 6th is actually uh, one short of the day that will live on in infamy, but it's also the day that the 13th Amendment was adopted, ratified, believe it or not, making it unlawful to hold slaves. And, (laughs) you know, the forces of slavery got smarter where they created a more subtle degree of slavery. We are all slaves economically, physically. We saw this certainly during covid So today, through this prism of how to fight tyranny, I'm going to go through a bunch of different news stories, who knows where it's going to get us, I'm going to try to catch up on as many stories that I've missed as possible, but all under the prism and the theme of knowledge. The problem we have today, the reason why we are not a free people and you go down the generations and the younger you get, the more of a slave Marxist mindset is embedded in our youth. It's because we lack basic knowledge. In the case of our youth, they don't even know where to find places on a map. They don't know anything outside of their virtual uh, transhumanist world that they've been reared into. But even among... People who call themselves conservatives. It's also become a fact-free zone. We talk about this with the reactionary politics, where you know, you don't look at the facts of a situation, you judge it by, well, this person says that, and that person says that. So here I'm gonna align myself this way. We find that with the Trump stuff, you know, where people might agree with us, not Gen Z on the values in the abstract. But then they don't understand the facts. Like, do you know this guy's a leftist? Why do you keep electing Joni Ernst in Iowa? Why do you keep electing Dan Sullivan in Alaska? Tillis in North Carolina? James Langford in in Oklahoma? You got Greg Abbott in Texas? All those clowns in in places like Alabama and Mississippi. Because it's just a lack of knowledge. Oh, I didn't know they were doing that. And I hate to say, but that ties into Trump as well. Oh, I didn't know Trump stood for that. I didn't know Trump did that. Well, yeah, he did. It amazes me watching people complain about something and Trump could do that exact thing and it's like it never happened. Benjamin Rush once said, freedom can exist only in the society of knowledge. Without learning, men are incapable of knowing their rights and where learning is confined to a few people liberty can be neither equal nor universal. Unfortunately, what I would tweak about that statement is where knowledge is limited to a few people, those few people can't enjoy freedom because they're overrun by the majority who remain stupid and impose their stupidity, which leads to tyranny on everyone else. Sam Adams, in a letter to James Warren, 1779, during the heat of the war, if virtue and knowledge are diffused among the public, they will never be enslaved. This will be their great security. Noah Webster. He wrote an essay, The Education of Youth in America. Again, this is during the war, um no, not during the war, during the um Constitutional Convention, seventeen eighty eight. Every child in America should be acquainted with his own country. He should read books that furnish him with ideas that will be useful to him in life and practice as soon as he opens his lips he should rehearse the history of his own country rehearse the history of his own country and and that's a problem people just don't know don't know history and we when you don't have a historical vantage point you think certain things were just created then oh uh, i thought they're entitled to open borders i thought we you know we're entitled to socialism I thought there's a place on a map called Palestine. I mean, all this stuff. That is our problem. Now, when it comes to half of the country, I don't think you could rebuild lost knowledge of 50 years, and we're lost. But we can't make our own people stupid. And what my colleagues have done is they've acculturated people on the right to stupidity. Shallow information... Oh, but the left, own the left, but on the issues that matter and the way they matter, the who's who and the what's what of politics so they can make informed choices on getting involved in legislation, getting involved in policy fights and getting involved in primaries. They don't know their head from their toe. So this is where we are. We're stuck with endless Republicans that get reelected that screw us. So I'm just going to go down a list in that vein of all the things they're doing. We'll start off with congressional news. After 10 months, Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama lifted his holds on senior military promotions. Basically, he's lifting it on everyone except 10 or 11 four-star generals and then paving the way for 1,400 promotions, getting nothing in return. And Look, I don't blame Tuberville really for this. It's the Republicans just beat him down. And beginning with people like Joni Ernst and Dan Sullivan. And they'll get re-elected or, or renominated in a primary. It won't matter. Because we don't have people taking names and informing the public. We have Nikki Haley coming out in support of transgender surgery. She's like, yeah, people should be able to do what they want. Let them and the parents decide. It's funny, she didn't say that on COVID. When she would attend... Uh, vaccinated-only events and speak at them. But, like I said, she is the rule, not the exception of the party. She's not going to go anywhere in this presidential race. But down the ballot, this is what we have for Republican senators, congressmen, governors, and legislators and other party officials. And then you have Ukraine. Ukraine. There's like a full court press. Could you imagine everything that we frantically need to get across in must-pass legislation, blocking the weaponization, the war on consumers, inflation, green energy, the border? Obviously, you have the crime bubble, the growing wave of rioting that's going to be turbocharged into the next year. There's no question We'll talk about that maybe if we have time. The Hamas demonstrations, mark my words, they will be BLM 2.0 because it's another presidential election year and and probably be worse. So be prepared for that. And it's like, okay, if you care about foreign policy so much, at least say, we will prevent Biden from hamstringing Israel. But no, it's all Ukraine. Pete Ricketts, Senator from Nebraska, who, by the way, is up for re-election, and he'll get re-nominated. He owns the state, has all the money. I was at my state fair in August, and a woman came up to me and said, Senator, I don't want my 18-year-old fighting in Ukraine. And I responded back to her. I said, ma'am, that's why we're giving the Ukrainians weapons, because if Putin is, uh successful in Ukraine, he won't stop there. And if he invades the Baltic states, that'll be World War Three, and your 18-year-old son will be fighting in Europe. And as expensive as it is to support Ukraine, World War Three is more expensive in terms of blood and treasure. And the look on her face was such that she had never considered that. Her face just dropped. Like, I mean, anyone with a brain knows no matter how many weapons we give them, even if you believe in it, they cannot take the Russian ethnic areas but conversely the Russians have shown no ability to take the rest of Ukraine much less everything else I think everyone's laughing at them now their their infantry is a joke the thing it's just simply not true it, 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 there could have been this thought man the Russians have this amazing military it did not work out that way and not to mention the fact that I mean, you now have the Kiev mayor coming out and saying that Zelensky is turning Ukraine into just as authoritarian as Russia. But we knew that already. But this is what we have. And Deb Fisher at the was also at the brief the briefing of the senior Republican senator from Nebraska. This is what we have from every single red state. Should I go on? So On paper, even the rhinos support Israel. Might not support America, they they support Israel. Okay, fine. Did you know, so we talked about this a little bit yesterday, there's this woman, Elizabeth Richards. She's up for the nomination to be the director coordinator for counterterrorism. The counterterrorism czar. Who is Elizabeth Richards? She was the Lebanese ambassador under Trump, by the way. That was the biggest advocate for funding the for funding Hezbollah. the very elements of the Lebanese intelligence that are credited with blinding Israel's Intel when they were um, doing the dry run practice for the October 7th attack in Lebanon. So you would think we'd all be united on that, block her nomination. Schumer, who claims that he's against anti-Semitism, files cloture to basically nominate Hezbollah as the counterterrorism czar. Okay? You know, we laugh at the UN that, uh, you know, Iran is on the Civil Rights Council. So, same thing here. We're gonna nominate someone who has Hezbollah on speed dial to run counterterrorism. And... Here's a list of Republicans, a bunch of Republicans voted along with them. Cornyn, Graham, Crapo, Moran, McConnell, Risch, Romney, Rounds, Tillis, Wicker, and Young all voted with the Democrats. Such an easy no vote. And again, I mean, these are basically the Foreign Relations Committee members. They view themselves as family with the Democrats rather than fighting against them. And you have represented here, I'm looking down the map, it's literally all red states. Texas, South Carolina, Idaho, Kansas, uh, Kentucky, Utah, South Dakota, North Carolina, Mississippi, and Indiana. Because our voters are ignorant because we don't even have a leadership cluing them in on this stuff. So it goes on, and on we go. And by the way, because of this ignorance, that's how we get Republicans that spend even more than Democrats, including Mitt Trump, when they're in power. So that's why the dollar is going to hell. And now's the time to invest in precious metals, something of value. Gold just hit another record above $2,100. I recommend birch gold of all. By the way, birch gold is not just gold. They will help convert your IRA or 401k into precious metals. They also have a lot of silver options. You know, if you think gold is too high at this moment, uh, silver, would be a good investment at this point but you know if you have questions text daniel to 989898 claim your free info kit guide and then they'll have a number for you to call you they'll walk you through as you do your taxes in the next few weeks uh how to utilize their services to convert that you know tax exemption you get for the ira or 401k uh into something of value gold or silver text Daniel to nine eight nine eight nine eight today okay, more betrayals. Tom Tillis that name always seems to come up and it, it it's so tragic because I tried so hard in the primary I'm trying to remember how long ago that was like ten years ago when he was running and I tried, but you know he wins. The irony is you could poll Republican voters. What do you want on a given issue? And and they'll be with us. And then through the front door, I could tell you every one of those people will get renominated. We're slaves. We're just as as bad as the left. Tillis is now reassuring business groups, this is from Breitbart, that a Senate plan will allow Biden to import. More workers via the CNHV parole program. It's roughly 360,000 workers from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. Lovely. Every year. Even though, by the way, it's one of these programs that was never authorized by Congress. Totally made up. But that's their priority. This is your GOP Senate for you. And um, it doesn't have to be that way. Listen to Chip Roy lay down the gauntlet on using the NDAA and the budget must pass bills for our prerogatives. Take a listen here.
0: And to the Speaker and to Senate Republicans, I say, if we're going to actually cut spending, it needs to actually cut spending year over year. Because the average American family eating $11,000 a year in additional costs, as reported by CBS last night, they're expecting all of us to stand up and defend them. We're their voice. The average American, the average Texan who can't pay their bills, who are watching their border be wide open, watching cartels exploit our border, kill their kids, trying to get empowered. And we're over here nibbling around the edges saying, oh, we must pass the NDAA. So take out all the provisions that make it better. Why? So we can check a box and get something done as we head home to our family dinners at Christmas. That's the way this place works and it needs to end. Republicans together need to stand up and say, we'll eat Christmas dinner right here in Washington. We'll stay here into January. We'll do what it takes to stand up for every American who's getting left behind by an administration that is more concerned about advancing a radical leftist agenda than defending the American people they were sent here to defend. Senator Johnson, or,
1: or it's no, Andy, Andy, Bates. okay, Sandy Andy, Biggs. Andy Folks, it doesn't have to be that way. We could have Chip Roy's plus build on him. Up and down the ballot in every red district. But we don't. So the pain is going to continue. The pain is going to continue. And, and by the way, I'll just reiterate it. When it comes to these people, we need a movement to start saying we will not vote for them in a general election. That is the only way around this because they have all the money and donors to lie and run on our issues so they could subvert them and do the opposite. And after doing this my entire career, I don't see a path to getting rid of them. But they have the money, we have the people. But we have to inform the people. We need petitions in every one of these states where we automatically come in a primer where where we say, these X number of hundreds of thousands of GOP voters will not support Joni Ernst, Tom Tillis, Roger Wicker. And and let you got to be willing to shoot the hostage. Because we were so scared of losing a seat here, losing a seat there. We don't realize we're down to a 90-10 liberal Senate. That's the problem. We think, "Oh, well it's it's 50-50, it's teetering. We got to just support whatever piece of garbage pops out of that primary." No. This is what you get. You know, remember when I told you, I actually said it would have been worse to have nominated Mehmet Oz, the Grand Pasha, Grand Mufti of Turkey, than Federman, because he would have been a subversive voice in our side. Now, look, I mean, Federman still, whatever brain cells he has, is a leftist, and Israel's not the only issue, but man, his moral clarity on that issue. I think we all recognize he's more you know he's stronger against Hamas than than Pasha Oz would have been. So, you know, that's the thing. You don't win by losing. When you nominate one of these people in a primary, you lost the election long before the general election. But here's the thing. I want to change gears a little bit to talk about little little bit you know what we did yesterday but but to build upon that we talked about the obsession of this administration with Iran, Hamas, dunking on Israel like like okay I get it Israel's not your thing but why are you so obsessed and and the point is it's ideological it's part of this Marxist anti-colonial decolonization agenda i want to bring this back home now i want to bring it back home also talking about knowledge and ignorance of the younger generation that they're feasting off of this third intifada an information warfare intifada but it's also spilling out into the streets violently the biden administration is trying to create a blood libel against israel and, and jews but it's not they're not stopping there right we're seeing everywhere christian ceremonies christmas ceremonies are being canceled because of the intifada this is not about Israel. It's not about Jews. This is global. This is BLM, but more global. I mean, you had BLM riots really everywhere, but it was mainly the U.S. This is going to be everywhere. And this is going to be the deterrent. And, and, and by the way, I, I want you to understand, Israel was promised, or Jews were promised a homeland, you know, with the breakup of the nations in World War One, The reason why they started reneging on it was because of Arab violence. Arab violence always pays. So keep that in mind. You know, this is not just about Israel. The same way they wanted to subvert the 2020 election with violence, and they did, wait until next year. And we're seeing the underpinnings of this. And that's why the Biden administration is really, really harnessing this. I mean, remember when the Biden spokeswoman was asked, like, dude, your own FBI director said Jews are 2% of the population, but 62% of the victims of of hate crimes. And, like, what's up with that? And you're talking about Islamophobia? And she doubled down. I was like, yeah, Islamophobia is where it's at. That's not just kind of like a leftist intersectionality sort of view. It's strategic. They want our cities to burn and the Hamas Muslim Brotherhood is going to be the new Antifa BLM. But before that, I want to just preface with another thing. So the Democrats, unlike Republicans, actually have principles that they're willing to fight for. They might Their constituents might be ignorant about values and facts and history, but they're not ignorant about what is good for their political positions. See, our voters are more informed about you know, values, but they're ignorant about how to achieve those values. The Democrats are, the, you know, it's the opposite. And they're willing to fight for it. One of the things I admire about the left is how they're able to turn on and off that faucet with ease. It's not just, okay, we're, we're open borders, or we're, you know, anti-police, or we're, we're this or that. No, no, no. They turn it on and off as necessary. So they hate the police if the police are doing the job they should do. But it's not going to stop them from January 6th political persecution. That's the anarcho tyranny. Right? They they know how to turn on and off that faucet when it when it serves their needs. So one of the things we've seen is that there's they they love, they want to bring in anyone and everyone from the world legally illegally create visa programs every corner of the world we are bringing in people from 150 different countries from the border not to mention all the you know legal immigration or the fake legal immigration and you'd think man I mean Democrats it's like they wouldn't turn down anyone right for the first time I've ever seen in my lifetime Democrats are announcing the Biden administration, is announcing a visa ban. I mean, I you got to you got to marvel at these people. This is from Israelnationalnews.com. US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken announced a visa ban on extremist settlers. That's what they call the Jews living, religious Jews living peacefully in Judea and Samaria constantly under attack from Hamas and the PLO. They they have this blood libel that these burly-looking Jews, you know, with the, with the kids and the women, and they're, like, beating up the Arabs. I mean, yeah, yeah, like, that that happens all the time. So there's this blood libel going on. They're saying this is unacceptable, and they're going to ban any of those people from coming here. By the way, incidentally, a lot of them are actually, forget about visas, a lot of them are actually U.S. citizens, and I'm sure have passports. Not all of them, but a good number of the people in Judea and Samaria are actually Americans um, that moved there, Uh, wanted to live out those ideals. It's the Bible Belt of Israel. And that is, I have said before, that is the linchpin of the war for Western civilization is Judea and Samaria. And commensurate with its importance is why it is so important to the left to demonize and dehumanize them. So, you know, if you came from Mars... If you didn't know anything, you would think by the reaction of the Biden administration that a bunch of you know Jews just went out and murdered 1,400 Arabs and raped them and beheaded them in in Nablus or whatever there in Hebron. But you know, in fact, the opposite happened. But I I just look at this and I marvel at at the left man. They think of everything. It's like you would think, okay, you know, they'll be consistent. They're open borders. I want you to understand, the left is not pro-trans, open borders, illegal aliens, pro-criminal, weak on crime. You know, the left is whatever achieves their agenda, they point and shoot. They aim at that target as needed at the given time, the left, unlike our side, they focus on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. They're very knowledgeable, and their constituents are too, by the way, about what serves their agenda. Right, so for example, you know, everyone always thought, oh, the ACLU, they're just, okay, they're absolutists about civil liberties. No. They are, I mean, we saw this, that they're fascists. They will actually, they sued red states trying to ban, not mask they didn't ban masks, they banned mask manda- mandates, right? So you're free to wear a mask, but you just can't force other people to wear a mask. They would sue to force human beings to literally gag their mouths. I mean, the, the organization that made its name over freedom of speech, Absolutism, you no, know, they're fascists. They worked with the censorship regime. So it's the same thing. I mean, we've always known this. If the people coming over the border would vote and believe in what you and I believe in, okay, you know, they would show you what disproportionate force looks like. All right? What, what, what DeSantis says about Stone Cold Dead with the cartel guys, they would apply that to, you know, every man, woman, and child coming over that border. Just, just remember that. The left is not locked in to any one way of thinking. They're locked into their outcomes, and it's about time we pursue, pursue our own outcomes. But anyway, that's that's the blood libel they're working on. So it's now—I mean, I mean, look, say what you want about Jews, but it's kind of retarded to say Jews are violent. They're too pacifist, but it's like, really? You're going to get that blood libel to stick? So they're going to block visas from Israel. <laughs> the first first time ever I've ever seen a Democrat want to cut off a visa. You got to give these guys credit. So it's part of a broader theme. Again, it's not just about Israel. It is about ultimately, yes, you know, the left doesn't like Israel. They love the Arabs. I get that. But this is part of seeding a global intifada in all of our cities in time for the election. And they're going to do it. This is from KCRA in uh, Sacramento. With multiple protests planned near the Capitol, Gavin Newsom has decided not to hold the annual public Christmas tree lighting live and in person as originally planned. Instead, it will be held remotely. That's another legacy of COVID, by the way so that you could live life remotely. As we continue to see protests across the country impacting the safety of events of all scales, and for the safety and security of all participating members and guests, including children and families, the ceremony this year will be virtual. It's interesting. He doesn't say, why are they unsafe? You know, um, there was a pro-Israel rally in Washington that had a few hundred thousand people who came to it, and uh, no one was unsafe. It's interesting, there's there's only one group of people that seem to have a protest that threatens the security of others. I mean, you could you could protest, it's freedom of speech, no problem. But you don't have a freedom to beat people up, which is what they do. Likewise, this is from the Daily Mail. Europe faces a huge risk of terrorist attacks over Christmas. Um, EU officials have warned. European Home Affairs Commissioner uh, Ilva Johan uh Johansson said anger caused by the Israel-Hamas war made violence more likely. We saw recently in Paris, unfortunately, you know, that was referring to the Eiffel Tower stabbing, said U- the EU is making 26 million euros available for additional security in vulnerable places. And uh, basically, they're going to start canceling Christmas ceremonies because, you know, we need to placate our buddies uh, in Islam. So that's where we are. Mark my words, this is not a foreign policy issue per se. It's not an Israel issue. It's not even a Jewish issue per se. This is the new vehicle for the neo-Marxist anti-colonialism. Just throw out anything white, anything established in tradition and history, anything Christian. Okay, again, forget about Jews. They're going to go after that, and this is part of disrupting, basically making people think, like, hey, you know, you don't re-elect Democrats, you're going to face violence. And you might think, "Well, oh, come on, people are going to go for that. No, it works. Violence works. Hamas understands that, the Muslim Brotherhood understands that, BLM Antifa understand that, and the Marxist left certainly does understand that. And that's why, I mean, they're brainwashing people. I mean, we never had this in history, but you look at Gallup polling. 63% of Democrats oppose Israel's actions in Gaza. 67% of adults under 35, so 18 to 35, oppose it. 64% of, of uh, non-whites oppose it. And 52% of all women oppose. So all the key benchmarks of the Democrat coalition, um, they, you know, it's, it's the young, it's the non-whites, And it's done by design. It is done by design. They feast on people's ignorance of issues while conservative media feasts upon their voters and their constituents' ignorance of basic political facts. The left doesn't know historical facts. Conservative voters don't know political facts. You know, with that, there, there's an amazing piece I want to read to you. Um, from the Wall Street Journal. I don't know who this guy is. He's like a professor of political science at Berkeley. From which river to to which sea? So he's a political science professor in Berkeley. His name is Ron Hasner, and he did something interesting he went around and he had some professional, he hired a a polling firm to randomly sample 250 college students across the country from a variety of backgrounds. And they asked them what they thought of the chant from the river to the sea. And found that a total of a super majority thought it was a good, great idea. Yeah, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free but only 47% of the students who embraced the slogan were even able to name the river and the sea it was referring to. It's really funny. So less than half of them. So on the survey, some said it was the Nile and the Euphrates. Some said the Caribbean and some said the Dead Sea and the Atlantic. And the Dead Sea is actually a lake. Um, Less than a quarter of these students knew who Yasser Arafat was. So, I mean, like, that's the whole enchilada. If you don't know Arafat, you don't know. So less than a quarter knew who he he was. And asked in what decade Israelis and Palestinians signed the Oslo Accords, more than a quarter of the Chan supporters claimed that no such peace agreement had ever been signed. Um, There's no shame in being ignorant unless one is screaming for the extermination of millions. There's no shame in ignorance anymore. Would learning basic political facts about the conflict moderate students' opinions? He says a Latino engineering student, a Latino engineering student, ahem. Again, you bring people in from this part of the world, they certainly, you know, it's it's inherently a problem in, in the American youth. You go, like I said earlier this week, you bring in from other parts of the world, it's going to be even worse. So reported definitely supporting from the river to the sea because Palestinians and Israelis should live in two separate countries side by side. Shown on a map of the region that a Palestinian state would stretch from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, which literally is a tiny, it's like the width of New Hampshire or you know maybe New Jersey, um, leaving no room for Israel, he downgraded his enthusiasm from the mantra to probably not. Of the 80 students who saw the map, 75% changed their view. An art student from a liberal arts college in New England probably supported the slogan because Palestinians and Israelis should live together in one state. Okay, so you know, the, the 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 other one was like they need two, this is one. But when informed of recent polls in which most Palestinians and Israelis rejected the one state solution, the student lost his enthusiasm. Third group of students claimed the chant called for a Palestine to replace Israel. of those students reduced their support for the slogan when they learned it would entail the subjugation, expulsion, or annihilation of 7 million Jews and 2 million Arab Israelis. Another 14% of students reconsidered their stance when they read that many American Jews considered the chant to be threatening or whatever. In all, after learning a handful of basic facts about the Middle East, 67.8% of students went from supporting the chant to rejecting the mantra. These students had never seen a map of the Middle East and knew little about the region's geography, history, or demography. Those who hope to encourage extremism depend on the political ignorance of their audiences. And I want to segue into the fact that, again, ignorance is not just a problem on the left. Insidious people feast off of ignorance. You know, I I was just watching... Tucker Carlson did a whole thing, and he said, you know, the more severe and devastating the lie, the less likely they'll ever apologize, which is why they're never going to apologize for COVID. And I'm thinking, dude, the number one man that you are slobbering over, he is the most relevant person. Okay, don't don't quote me some random scientist or doctor or low-level guy in Congress. This is the number one guy in all Republican and conservative politics, to this day says it's his greatest achievement, it saved millions, I didn't do a single thing wrong, refuses to apologize, will not apologize, and because of it, under him, we will never get the reckoning we need. And he won't call him out, but then again, he didn't call him out face to face. This is something that rhymes with Tucker. He is nothing but a Tucker. I mean, that is just... Disgusting. But it's that degree of obfuscation. So people are like, Daniel Trump did that? I don't know. So you're no different than the left who thinks that there was an Arab Palestinian prime minister, you know, of 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 a land in, in, in the Holy Land at the turn of the 1920th century. They're stupid too. And that leads me to the next issue in our final segment here, our guest today. So we just talked about the fact that on such a big issue like COVID, our voters might finally get the principles of the actual issue, but they don't get the politics of it. When it comes to the most relevant man who was instrumental in ramming it down our throats, they think he's a hero rather than a villain. And by now, obviously, a lot of you understand that That's why you listen to me. But right up there with COVID is really the issue of crime. You know, when you take over from the left, you can't afford not to floor the gas pedal on a policy issue, right? Because, I mean, that's all you have. The left does it when they're in charge, and you got to go the other way. But what's worse than not flooring the gas pedal is actually going into reverse. One of the things that was shocking about the Trump presidency is an issue that he was good on his whole life. Very rarely was he consistent on an issue, but on crime dating back to his books in the 1980s, he was always, you know, Reagan's view on that, you know, lock him up. And that was a time that we should have reversed the jailbreak. and And I want to just say that when you talk to Trump supporters, what they hate, globalist, Koch brothers, Soros. I mean, the criminal justice deform movement is the armpit of everything you hate. And that stands at the nexus of BLM, of the rioting, the unrest, all this stuff is that disgusting, decrepit movement. And rather than joining with us, he used his clout to lend support to something that we were able to defeat under Obama. But, you know, once Trump supports it, well, then, you know, that's it. And, you know, that's why people like Tucker, you know, he opposed it at first, but then went silent when Trump supported it. And the rest is history. Now, often they're like a drive-by. They'll get up and say, well, there's these people that barely did anything wrong. Mind you, there are people who did nothing wrong, but those aren't the people they're going to fight for, like with January 6th. And the political persecutions, no, no, no. They'll have these people, well, all they were doing is just a bunch of nothing, and they were locked up for 30 years, and they became a pastor or a priest in, in prison, the greatest people alive, and and we need to reduce sentencing, let people out early, and we're going to create these magical anti-recidivism programs, and then just, just magically convert them, we let them out. And then it's a drive-by, you never hear about them. And, you know, we we've talked about this, but it's hard to... You know, it's hard to discover these cases, but you know, historically, the more you release those type of people, especially if you're in federal prison on drug and gang and firearms charges, those are the worst people alive. Um, but, you know, I, I love how all, like, the, you, you know, Tucker's like, you can't talk about Israel because of drugs! Gee, you know, I was talking about drugs all last decade, and and I was made fun out of, like, Daniel, it's just drugs! Uh, let them out of prison! I'm like... We're not talking about people privately smoking marijuana. These are heavy-duty drug dealers, A, that are killing a lot of people with the drugs, but B, they're the ones committing all the other violence, too. Um, and that's kind of just what you know the federal prosecutors nailed them on. And you know those of you who are with me in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, you remember we focused a lot on this issue. And then we would get people like this guy who was on stage with Trump. Oh, he, we got him a job. He got out of prison. And then he goes right back to meth... Uh, dealing, but you know we you don't you don't hear about that, and there's a lot of these cases that we're not quantifying. I know the Chicago, uh, Chicago prosecutors have talked about this. Chicago Sun Times has reported on this that a lot of the street violence they have are people that circled out as a result of the Trump, uh, Kushner jailbreak bill, and now we have a new case in my home state of Maryland that's very illuminating. So I figured I'd bring on. My buddy who broke the story, uh, Sean Kennedy, he's our resident uh, crime expert we bring on. He's a visiting fellow at the Maryland Public Policy Institute. Institute And right now he actually is a host of a new show Saturday morning on WBAL, our local station here. So you could tune in if you guys like what he has to say. Follow him. Must follow at Kennedy WBAL on Twitter. And he is here in the flesh today on Blaze Media. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right. So you heard a mouthful from me. What is this case in Maryland of a guy released from the First Step Act that went on to commit some pretty bad crimes?
2: Well, the reason it's in the news is because in October, and this is the only reason we know about this, is this case was so egregious that it made national headlines in in so many ways because of what occurred, Carver High School. In Baltimore, at 7.30 a.m. in October, a student showed up and pistol whipped another student. That student ran away, and then the assailant bumped into a second student, and that second student and the first assailant then exchanged gunfire, injuring each other and an innocent bystander. All of these were 15-year-olds except for the bystander who was 16. But what else happened in the background was that the assailant who was 15 was carrying a firearm provided by his parents, William Dredden III and Tiffany uh, Hoskins, I believe. And those two individuals are criminals and known criminals, particularly William Dredden, the father of the 15-year-old assailant who pistol-whipped somebody and did that. And William Dredden not only provided a firearm and drove his son to the scene for the retaliation and confrontation, he physically assaulted the first victim himself. (laughs) So this guy is a real thug. But it's better than that. He's not just some thug. He is a notorious drug dealer in Baltimore. He is 40 years old, but has an arrest history, dating a public adult arrest history, adult trials, uh, he when he was 18 and 16 in 2000 and then in 2002 when he was 18 was arrested and convicted twice for drug related crimes convicted again in 2005 for drug related crimes where he got 10 years between 2005 and 2007 and all but 6 months was suspended then he's convicted again in 2010 and again in 2015 and then wrapped up in 2017 and 2018, and the 2018 charges were dropped. That was in April of 2018. In October of 2018, he was arrested yet again, this time by a federal sting, and the federal Department of Justice arrested him and wrapped him up in a large-scale drug conspiracy where they alleged, and he pled guilty to being part of an open-air drug market where he was selling fentanyl, heroin, meth, crack cocaine. He sold it to an undercover buy. Bi- I,
1: I want to freeze frame there, Sean, so so because there's so much to process. I want to summarize and then move forward because this is the quintessential debate we've been having. All these guys, they roped Trump into it. you know, got the Koch brothers and Kushner in the White House. Now they're over-criminalization. And remember, the left is not here to do us favors, right? When they want people out of jail, it's not our people. It's their people. Okay, so... You know they, they made it like these people that didn't do anything wrong, and the general tenor of their argument is that we have a too strict of a system. When we're always like, "What in the world are you talking about?" We're pulling our hair out with people dying of of drugs. They also do all the other violent crimes too. Um, no nobody comes in and throws people up for just you know possessing drugs one time. It's a progression. They're irremediably broken. Um, and even then they rarely get punished. A fraction of what they they deserve, and this guy is a classic example, and what you're bringing out here is, you know, they try to bring out these cases of reformed, repentant people that are just the most amazing people alive, but in fact, it's the William Dreddens that we warned are the rules, not the exceptions, and you're saying, this is a guy, you know, it's not like, okay, you get into drugs, no, no, no. He brought his kid to school to go and beat and shoot people like, you know, we're, we're all complaining about school shootings and this whole trend. And this is the type of crap when they say criminal justice reform, it means William Dredden.
2: Exactly. And so William Dredden is a hardened career criminal, gets locked up by the feds. And this is how it gets to the First Step Act. He eventually pleads guilty and agrees to a 48-month, that's four-year sentence, and the feds say he is a danger to the citizens of Baltimore and he needs to serve all of it, which from when he was wrapped up by the feds would start the clock in November 2019 and he would serve until November 2023. But in fact, during COVID and because of the First Step Act and later the CARES Act, it gave compassionate relief and earned good time credits to people like William Dredd, and particularly people who are identified, according to the federal system, as nonviolent offenders, which I could put a pin in in a second, but they then gave him early release on this petition, even though the Justice Department, even under President Biden opposed his release, the judge under the statute gave him early release. He was released in June, 2022, that's 15 months early. One month shy, of when he should have, should have finally been released, he brings his son with a firearm and then assaults himself, a 15-year-old. And then the shooting occurs. So William Dredden is now being charged with 18 counts, including possession of a firearm by a prohibited person or felony possession, as we call it elsewhere. Why is he a felon? Because he's committed dozens of crimes and felonies and been arrested for them and seen no consequences. Yes, And this, this is emblematic, like you're saying, not just of the First Step Act, though, that is ex- accentuating this problem. But the Bureau of Justice Statistics released a report in April of this year, based on 10-year-old data, but they did a deep dive between 2009 and 2014. And they found some really striking data. They found that 64 percent, of all the people who were admitted to state prison in that period of time, had been arrested before they turned 20. They, all prisoners, before they went to state prison, had averaged 11 prior arrests. <laughs> 90% had at least three. But this is the kicker, because this is where it goes to the First Step Act and the lack of consequences. Despite their lengthy rap sheets, more than half, 52 percent. So on average, they've gotten 11 years, 11 arrests, and on average, five convictions. But half have served less than a year in jail. And that's the William Dredding case. He served so little time for all those criminal convictions and then was let out early anyway under the federal system.
1: Even after the feds captured him, you think, oh, then the feds really locked the guy up. But even the feds, after all that— only gave him four years, and then he gets out, you know, in less than three. And that is the velocity of leniency we're seeing across the board. So, you know, all of our colleagues, it's its so funny, you and I were on an island. Um, all Republicans overnight, um, you know, from like 2012 to 20 I guess Floyd really, you know, became leftists on crime. It was like, you know, you and I didn't even know our friends. Like, what's going on here? Hey, Okay. Now, suddenly, everyone's a big hero, yeah, the left and the crime and BLM. okay, but they focus on the policing, and there's definitely an element of that. But what they ignore is the sentencing that we're we're that even at the peak of incarceration, we rarely punish people, as you see. the report was two thousand nine to twenty fourteen. I'm sure those numbers, if you would judge the people in the system now, the velocity is much you know much much, much stronger, the velocity of leniency. So my question to you, Sean is, Looking on the landscape of the right, the NGOs, Congress, Republican, red state legislatures, has the spike in crime and the rioting and the unrest, has it changed them? Or is the same Coke right-on-crime, jailbreak coalition that Kushner brought in to the Trump White House still working at it?
2: Well, I think it's both. I mean, I think there's some that were— you know, mugged by reality, in the famous Irving Crystal phrase. I always jokingly say a criminal justice reformer who's turned tough on crime just got mugged. (laughs) And we've seen that with the carjacking of a DA or uh, a city councilman, or obviously what happened with the D.C. crime bill, where uh, the Congresswoman Angie uh, Craig from Minnesota was literally assaulted by a crazy person, and suddenly she and 40 Democrats break and, and repeat and stop the D.C. council's madness of reducing carjacking and other penalties. So they got mugged. But there are true believers still out there. I know, I think in Tennessee, there's a woman pushing some continued jailbreak who's a Republican. We see it still in Texas. And then there's another third category, which is kind of where we stand. The people who are, have always been true believers, I guess. Then there's the mugged by reality who are now on our side and are true believers, at least for now. And then there's the people who are trying to exploit the politics of crime but they don't mean it their heart isn't in yes it. if if it shifted and and they were the ones who were the real dangerous ones during the right on crime era of the mid-2010s because they saw it as good politics that's really where the trump position comes from he saw it as good politics he doesn't care to your point his 1980s and 90s rhetoric doesn't match up so he whatever he sees as good politics is the policy he'll pursue regardless of the consequences. And now the chickens are coming home to roost. And, you know, some of these places, Tennessee, it was good to see, obviously, that the state legislature and the Speaker of the House really pushed through over the Republican, supposedly governor's objections. I mean, we're seeing Democrats. There was a poll here in Maryland, the Gonzalez poll, which is a very respected poll, as you know, in Maryland. And it found that a majority, nearly a supermajority of Marylanders want tougher juvenile crime policies and, le- and, and leniency for juveniles. We're having a huge juvenile crime spike here. And the shocking part was 62% of black Democrats want stricter laws, but the same number, 62% of white Democrats want more lenient laws. That, that dichotomy
1: wow. is going
2: to define what the coalitions look like going forward. The people most proximate to crime don't want crime. The people who live behind gates and with guards don't care, and that is the problem here yes. is that we have been so protected from crime because of the success of Tough on Crime that we've forgotten how we got here, and it is taking this crime wave, this surge in violence and other you know, travesties, obviously the fentanyl importation and flooding our streets with overdoses and junkies – and homelessness and all these other problems for people to go, oh, maybe we made a mistake because they had basically gotten cocky. We had the luxury of leniency, as I call it, and we can no longer afford it.
1: What this William Drennan case shows is that, kind of like with the illegal alien crime, too, you know it's the tip of the iceberg, but it's so hard to dig up the histories here. And, you know, because there's so much obfuscation, no one wants this to come out. Is there a way to monitor how many of these people let out from the First Step Act uh, went on to reoffend?
2: Well, that's interesting because one of the bills that Tom Cotton put forward during the First Step Act was simply yes. requiring DOJ to do a report on the recidivism and to show the granular data about the offenses. Instead, we get this glossy you know, it looks like a college brochure about how great the first step act is doing and how low the recidivism rate is and all this other stuff. And of course it's nonsense. And th- and they're not telling you, you know, what exactly is going on with how these appeals work and who got released, like the Chicago case. So we're not monitoring case by case unless the media digs it up. Like the Joel Francisco key- case out of Connecticut and yeah. Rhode Island or
1: the Rand like said, the Paul Met- staffer attacked.
2: Yeah. I mean, so when we see these first step back releases, we have to catch them anecdotally, and then that empowers the first step back junkies, uh, both on the left and the right, to say, Oh, these are just anecdotes, you're just cherry yeah. picking. Well, why don't you show us the orchard? We're just cherry picking, <laughs> show us the orchard. Why won't you show us uh, the data? Sean they don't want to.
1: I'll never forget that it was something like, you know, when, when Cotton had that amendment to document each person released and put out a quarterly report. Um, it was every Democrat and maybe around 17, 18 Republicans voted against it, and it was just so obvious. I mean, the whole point was to monitor that, and they didn't want to monitor it because they don't want to see the results. Um, final question here. I- I- I'll never forget when they passed this. They are like, you don't understand, and these guys have to go to church, and these guys got to go through these programs, and they'll all fail out, and only the best of the best will be released. I mean, hasn't it come out from the GAO report that essentially it's a rubber stamp um, that everyone gets let out? There's, there are no programs to speak of or they're a joke.
2: Oh, absolutely. The GAO report you're referring to found earlier this year, which nobody even paid attention to. It seemed the media just put a blackout on it, which showed that they were just rubber stamping, as you say. They, they screwed up the math and they weren't tracking who earned the credits. So they just said everybody for 18 months gets all the credits. And what we also found out, which I just did a deep dive because they released the DOP Bureau of Prisons recidivism reduction programs that qualify for good time credits. The number of clownish programs that qualify include 24 that relate to dog grooming or animal care. They're letting the inmates handle lassie. And there are another two dozen that relate to Senior citizen financial wellness. One is even sponsored by the AARP.
1: Well, Sean, to what? be fair, I'd rather those than like the DEI stuff that basically says, you know, whites are racist. And because you have some of that curriculum funded by places like Cornell that get involved in the prison curriculum. So uh, the dog grooming I can handle. But but your broader point, I mean, it's just we were lied to and we knew it and there was nothing we can do. And the reason there was nothing we can do, uh, Sean, yeah, you know, yeah. With the Trump. And, and that's that's sort of the thing. And we, we just got to be knowledgeable. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. And and I really supported Trump in 2020. We so badly did not want to lose. We were frustrated with him. But at least we had friends in the admin. We had an ability to try to get him to do the right thing. Whereas under Biden, there's nothing we can do. And we begged, and the rioting went on and on and on, and they wouldn't do anything. And that was a concerted decision, like you said, because they made a stupid political calculation that somehow they're going to win the black vote. Um, And and the tragic irony is, like, you know, if DeSantis has an uncle's cousin dog, you know, donor— that is wrong on one issue. Oh, he must be bought out by the cokes even though he vetoes jailbreak bills from his own legislatures, uh, a lobby for by AFP, which, by the way, just supported Nikki Haley. But this guy could bring more Kooks, jailbreak Brooke Rollins, Jerome Smith into the White House, formulate a policy to racial pander America's security away. And it's all good. I mean, it's all good. Or no one our voters don't know about it. And.
2: And, and it, it gets worse than that in the sense that, like, maybe we're not – and I'm all for reentry and helping recidivism reduction, but I want effective programming, and they always use this buzzword, of evidence-based, and, of course, there's no evidence for what they're, t- they're actually proposing. But this was even more corrupt than it looks like. This was motivated by Jared Kushner's intense hate for the Justice Department to do what they did to his dad, which is his dad set up an ex- – sex extortion ring against a business partner who was going to out jared kushner's dad for financial crimes jared kushner then hated the doj by the way who prosecuted him and keeps pointing it out i think deliciously is chris christie chris christie points out that charles kushner is a scumbag and he is a scumbag and he went to federal <laughs> prison and that's who is benefiting from this it's not just drug dealers whatever it's scumbags bernie madoff charles kushner you know other hedge funds you know you know, Ponzi team scamb- scumbags are all nonviolent offenders who ruin people's lives, and they don't even get to stay at Club Fed anymore. They get to go home. And we just found out from The New York Times that Charles Kushner, Jared Kushner's dad, was organizing and basically paid for play for political favors, more pardons through the end of the Trump administration. So it was I, I corrupt can't. from the top to the I bottom. Can't.
1: I can't. Yeah, while the January 6 Sixers got nothing, but we're the cucks, we're the rhinos, we're the globalists, we're the cokes. I just, I, I can't. My, my head hurts. So it's like, so, so he brings in Kushner, who has a corrupt Democrat, pay for play, leftist father, who then is prosecuted by Christie, and then he brings Christian, who's bad on every other issue, and then, and then, but, but then he makes fun out of Christie now, so he's a big hero. I I, I can't I can't Sean but but thanks for for all the work you're doing spotlighting and staying on an issue that is so important, uh not just the issue itself but the but the way we focus on it. it's not just about police I want to hear about the police you know it's 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 the sentencing that matters anyone and, and his grandmother understands that if you ask them on net with few exceptions does the system punish people too much or too little. I mean, everyone would tell you it's pathetic. They slip through. Uh, It doesn't result in a conviction. If it does, it doesn't result in prison time. If it does after 50 million times, it results in very little prison time. And they go out and they do it again and again. And now it's worse than ever. And, uh, you know, it's funny, Sean. We have a real reawakening. Everyone agrees with you and me now. Except they don't. Yeah, I mean... Except, I mean, they do, but they don't take it to any policy outcome. Unfortunately,
2: people... People have, like Erwin Crystal said, been mugged, but not by reality. The reality is crime, but people have literally been mugged, and that's what's taking them to this place. They have to be mugged. Just
1: run ads against the Democrats, how bad they are in crime, then do nothing in the legislature or even uh, introduce more. I mean, the Florida legislature. I mean, juvenile crime is the armpit of this issue. It's the worst trend, and they had two— Bills downgrading juvenile criminals. DeSantis had to veto his own legislature on that. It was pushed by AFP. I mean, they're doing this in many states where you don't have a governor like that, so they'll they'll support it. And vote Mr. Trump. It's it's gonna be good. It will be really good this time. The rioting and everything. And Sean, well, again, you know, people can catch your show WBL Saturday morning at KennedyWBL.com. Thank you for joining us, and thank you all. We will see you again. Same time, same place.